talking with Corey Ruth, a candidate in the July 20th Republican primary in the 4th Congressional District. Uh, should he win, he'll, be, uh, he'll have the right of facing uh, Hank Johnson in November. Uh, Corey, thanks for taking some time out of your busy day to join me. Uh, thanks for having us. Well, tell me about yourself. Born and raised in uh, New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey. Been in Atlanta for 15 years. I uh, currently manage uh, projects associated with information security standards across 44 different business units at a uh, Fortune 500 firm here in, uh, in Gwinnett County, actually. And, and um, you know, what I hope to do when I get to Congress is uh, bring a little more accountability to Congress. I want to also be able to uh, lower taxes in a way uh, that will increase uh, individual liberty. And, uh, and, and also we want to be able to um, empower uh, churches and communities and families to determine their own, uh, the, the uh, future of their own uh, communities rather than uh, developing more government programs to do so. You're running in an overwhelmingly Democratic district, and oddly enough, as I mm-hmm. mentioned, you're, you're locked in a primary with a few other Republicans. So what shot do you think you have, if nominated, at beating Hank Johnson? Yeah, well, I think we can beat them on the issues. And the great thing about uh, the times that we're in and the political climate that we're in is I think the Internet, much like this podcast uh, and wireless technology, has uh, moved the machine from between the people and the ballot box in such a way that we're seeing year after year people are winning elections that aren't supposed to be winning them. The people are making their own decisions, making up their own minds, whether that's Barack Obama or, or that's um, – uh, Alvin, Alvin Green, uh, people are winning elections that they aren't supposed to win. We've seen it in Massachusetts, we've seen it in New Jersey, and I believe we're going to see it here this fall. Do you think that's because people are just tired of, of the same old, same old, they're tired of uh, career politicians? Well, yeah, that certainly plays into it, right? You know, I think that people, um, satisfaction with the performance of Congress is so low uh, that people are, you know, are just ready for a change, they're ready to see uh, some fresh voices and some from fresh perspective, but more than anything else, I think people are interested in hearing ideas. And uh, nowadays, um, the whole partisan stuff isn't working anymore. People want to hear what are you going to do to solve the problems that we're facing as a nation, and, and also uh, what we're facing locally. The economy has to be the number one issue going into November. So, what solutions would you promote to create jobs in the fourth district? Yeah, well, I think jobs is first, right? So you have to be able to uh, create jobs, and the number one impediment to small businesses, 65% uh, of jobs are created by small businesses, and the number one impediment to hiring for small businesses is the corporate tax rate and overregulation. Mm-hmm. And so I think if we attack that by slashing the corporate tax rate, I propose lowering it to the lowest 10 percentile in the world, send the signal that America is the best place to invest over the next so many years, and then also cutting the payroll tax, that gives an immediate stimulus uh, to American citizens, increases your take-home pay by decreasing the federal tax burden. Uh, the other thing is we need economic development in this district, and I think uh, rather than uh, the proposals that we've been seeing on, on the other side, and, and that is to increase the uh, money that is uh, being forwarded to MARTA from the federal government, we need to develop transportation and economic development plans from the ground up rather than from Washington down. That means working with the state's Department of Economic Development, working with people like Honey Vandercreek and Tucker 
and uh, and getting uh, what's happening on the ground. Let me ask you, uh, you, you mentioned the corporate, cutting the corporate income tax and, and uh, uh, cutting the payroll tax. Do you have any influences as far as economic policy goes? Is there anyone you've read and in, in particular that has kind of like sh- helped shape your, your view on economics? <clears throat> you talking about currently or when I get to Congress? Oh, I'm currently. Yeah, well, on our team we have uh, some economic guys that we point to. I, I don't know if any of them would be known to the uh, to to your viewers, to your um, listeners, and I don't know if they would. Well, I guess like I was I guess I was referring more to like you know I mean do you do you read Milton Friedman? Do you read uh, any of the the kind of Austrian economists like Ludwig von Mises? I mean, have because just some of the things you were saying kind of it. it it smacks of that. I mean, and not that it's a bad thing. Yeah. I think that's a good thing, but it just yeah. it just kind of caught me a little. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you caught it. So basically, um, I listen. I read Thomas Sowell, of course, okay. but um, basically, um, as a student of history, I studied Keynesian economics, and interestingly enough, in college, that's all students here. Yeah. And uh, and I, what I do know from history is that it hasn't worked, and so uh, ultimately, um, the alternative to that sort of Keynesian approach where um, you take this uh, foreign-held debt-financed capital and infuse it into the marketplace, and then you arbitrarily control the interest rate so that uh, you can uh, somehow stimulate the economy that way. Um, the alternative to that is to, um, rather than impose the federal government further into the economy, remove the federal government to a further extent from the economy in order to stimulate it. So, you focus a lot on the fair tax on your website, but the argument can be made that we can't have tax reform without spending reform. Um, how and, yeah. and what particularly should we cut as far as spending goes? Yeah, well, I think what the way we should approach it in Washington, the same way all of us approach it in our own homes. I mean, it, it, you know, it's really not rocket science. The first thing you're going to do is, if you have a debt problem at home is you go on a spending freeze and and then you look at your current spending and see what can we cut in our current spending and then the next thing you do is you, you go on a credit freeze you're not going to get any more debt and uh and that's that's a very simple approach that we're not taking in washington that i think we should um there's a number of things i think that we can go after number one thing that i would uh look into is uh we need to go at the department of education uh, we also need to be focused on the Department of uh, Internal Revenue, the Internal Revenue Service, excuse me. And then the final thing that I think that I think is pretty creative, and we're seeing a lot more support for it, even on the right, is we need to review how we're spending uh, in our defense spending. And so I think that there's a lot of waste there. Recently, I read that two trillion dollars went missing in our defense budget. I mean, that's that's criminal. And and uh, and so we need to re evaluate how we're spending there and where our accountabilities are. And, uh, and uh, I think we can save a great deal of money those ways. Well, what about entitlements like Social Security and Medicare, uh, even in some level Medicaid? Uh, these, <laughs> these are represent massive, massive unfunded liabilities that are eventually we're going to have to deal with as a country, yeah. either through reform or through massive tax increases. So what, I mean, I guess, I don't know if you focused a lot on that in your campaign, but that's, that's, that's a concern that I think uh, that Americans should have, as far as as far as the future goes, is entitlement. So, what, do you have any thoughts on the uh, on entitlements? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ones you named, right, that's a, where most of our spending comes from in this nation. Actually, I, I think that um, from a Social Security perspective, I think we should 
revisit privatization. And uh, obviously we have to consider those who are currently on there. It's not politically expedient, so you can't expect Congress to move too fast on it. But I think if we can um, have sort of some sort of opt-in uh, measure uh, that allows people to opt in, we can kind of slowly, gradually uh, move towards a privatized Social Security uh, environment. And also what we need to consider is the, is the changes in our culture. I mean, you know, there are studies that show that, you know, our generation uh, may not ever retire. Retirement might retire. And uh, we're just not doing the type of work anymore that's going to require us to finally shut everything down and, and live off of the government anymore. So I think that uh, we can, we can um, uh, produce wealth uh, further in our, in our years. And, uh, and so we need to develop policies that take that into consideration as well. You support issuing a tamper-proof ID card for every foreigner in the country with biometric data, providing our government with comprehensive access control, uh, meaning we know who is here and why they are here and for how long and when they leave. Uh, aren't you yeah. concerned this will lead to a national ID card eventually, which that has to raise privacy concerns, though, I mean, doesn't it? Yeah, you know what? I, I do have a, a big problem with, with that. And I've, I've actually heard... Uh, some people talking about that on both sides. I, I have a problem with that. Uh, I'm talking people who are here. Uh, when I went to Germany, you know, uh, you get paperwork and, and things, and, and you have to um, carry it at all times. And I think having a tamper-proof ID card, what it does is it says it gives us the ability to know where foreigners are who are not American citizens but are here on visa or are here on green card or any other uh, legal, by any other legal means are here, it, what, it gives them credibility for being here and it allows us to easier, more easily trace illegal immigrants. But I don't think that we should uh, link that to anything like providing the same thing to American citizens. But isn't it a slippery slope, though, to, to, to that next step? It can be, right? We've seen that happen with Social Security. It's supposed to be temporary, and, and somehow it seems like it became permanent. Uh, I think we have to be vigilant about that. And also, uh, Jason, ultimately, when I'm elected, you're electing uh, not a elected monarch. You're electing someone to go into a debate society of 435 other people. So I want to start the conversation there. I don't think it'll end there. On your website, you say, we must also lead on the great challenges of our day, like ending genocide everywhere and to promote democracy around the world, uh, particularly particularly in regions that strategically nurture terrorist networks. Look, where is the authority in the Constitution, and, and how do you justify this when our founding fathers promoted trade with all but entangling alliances with none? What I uh, said, I said we, we have to lead on all of the challenges and promote democracy in, in, world, in, in around the world, um, here's what I mean. And this is stuff we already do with uh, USA Aid and things of that nature. Uh, I, what I'm saying is we need to be um, providing assistance to third world countries. And that doesn't have to be government money or government money. We, with, we need to promote, as in the Constitution says, that we should be promoting the common welfare uh, the general welfare, talking about American citizens, but we can promote this. Uh, we saw it happen when President Bush and President uh, Obama both um, allowed former presidents to raise money and and provide foreign aid. 
So I think there's ways to, in which we can do it that don't necessarily require the government taxing the American people to do it. But what I'm saying is our presence foreign uh, abroad needs to be less of a military footprint and more of a, a footprint of care. So if we're in uh, these third world countries providing care, providing school, providing remediation to epidemics like AIDS and tuberculosis, then we could be developing friendly relationships around the world. We don't necessarily have to tax our citizens to do that, uh, but I think we should uh, be promoting those efforts. With the recent spill in the Gulf of Mexico, support for offshore drilling is dropping dramatically. Uh, Do you support expanded drilling for oil in the United States and offshore? Absolutely. I have that on the website, too, on the energy and environment. I believe that we should not allow this uh, temporary uh, setback to, um, to, to take offshore drilling off the table as a possible solution to our, to our energy problems. Uh, we have to get off of our over-reliance on foreign oil. I think that we have to do that creatively. Um, and, but I also think we should be doing the things that we know already works. And so I think that one of the things we can do is move away from commuter-based developments to pedestrian-based developments. We see that with Atlantic Station. We also see that inherently with downtown Decatur, for instance. Mixed-use developments and such. Exactly. So so people aren't necessarily driving commuting so far. In DeKalb, in DeKalb County, for instance, most of the residents of DeKalb County drive outside of the county to, to wherever they work. They got commutes of 40, 60 minutes uh, each way. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and we'll never get off of our reliance on foreign oil in that way. And so the way to do it without um, um, imposing the federal government on the liberty of business uh, to develop the type of vehicles they want to develop or on the uh, liberty of individuals to choose the kind of vehicles that they want to choose. I always thought if you wanted a Hummer, buy a Hummer, buy two. And, and But to me, I feel like if their commute was shorter, it don't matter if they have a Hummer, right? right so right. If, we, if we we're at a place in our history, uh, just like we were when we laid the, the uh, railroads and just like we were when we laid the interstate, we're at a place in our history where we have to change the way in which we make our developments. And so we need to move away from sort of this suburban plan that was designed to get middle-class folk away from uh, uh, lower class people, if you allow me to use that term, and sure. and um, and we need to move to a more um, uh, pedestrian based society. The Obama administration is using the spill in the Gulf to push cap and trade. Uh, what what are your thoughts on this policy, and what do you think it's going to do to the the constituents in the fourth district? Yeah, well, you know, cap and trade is uh, is going to add about eight hundred dollars. Uh, to people's uh, uh, energy bill each year. It's, it's going to uh, eat away at like $3.8 uh, billion out of our uh, GDP, our national GDP. I believe that was the number, maybe off on that. Um, but it's going to have a very negative effect economically. Now, what proponents of cap and trade argue is that there will be replacements uh, for those things in other areas. Um, but as far as the 4th District is concerned, 66% of the 4th District is African-American. Studies show that Georgia will be negatively impacted by cap-and-trade severely, and the people who will be most negatively impacted happen to be African-Americans. And, uh, and so I'm very much concerned about that um, just because it's going to impact us 
economically at a time when the economy is already in need of less government intervention. What are your thoughts on Obamacare? Would you vote to repeal it? And what are some of the solutions from a free market perspective that you would support to make health care more affordable? Well, the biggest problem with Obamacare, outside of the fact that it, um, I think, unduly um, um, encroaches upon individual liberty by requiring from a federal um, um, level, requiring every citizen to purchase a product and or service. Now, what the, the biggest concern after that would be that it does nothing to deal with the rising cost of healthcare. That's the problem in the first place. And so what happens is the rising cost of healthcare are projected to outpace all of the revenue um, uh, traps that they put in the bill to pay for the bill, which means that we're gonna have these same such conversations only decades from now. And so we have to move to a place uh, where we are providing um, for more affordable access to health care and more stable health care for those who already have it. And we have to do that without unduly encroaching upon the liberty of individuals. And I think the way you do that is, you'll, number one, you empower states to seek the solutions that best meet the needs of their people. Um, we don't need... Uh, the same kind of health care in Florida with the senior citizens as we need in West Virginia with the coal miners. And they can choose to do that however they want to choose to do with the citizens of that of those states. But I would also think that we should be looking at opening the borders to interstate competition so that we can lower costs. The problem that I have with that, and uh, all of these are conversation starters, but the problem that I have with, with that uh, is that it would then give the federal government ultimate control because there's interstate commerce going on. Uh, so, so the federal government would ultimately be regulating that. So I, well, I think we should think, find some help. No, no, I don't, mean to, I don't mean to stop you. I think if you, Randy Barnett is a, he's a legal scholar, uh, writes for uh, the Volat Conspiracy. He's written some, some excellent commentary on the Constitution, and he – he says that if you take a broad view of the Commerce Clause, then you can get that that reading out of it. But that's a very broad view of the Commerce Clause. He said co- it was never intended for um, for the federal government to regulate uh, commerce in the way that you that way that you you just mentioned. It was more intended to make sure commerce was open and free, and and, and making sure that nobody was adding tariffs or anything like that to interstate okay. commerce. That's what. That's the that's the traditional found view that the founding fathers held. Now it's been completely distorted these days. <laughs> that's but that's exactly. I, didn't, I didn't mean to stop you. But another I got a friend of mine who makes that same argument against interstate sales, and it pisses me off. Well, so sorry. Well, I'm not. Yeah, no, and I'm not making the argument that that is going to be the case. I'm making the argument that 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 is definitely a potential uh, outcome. Of that. Uh, oh, I don't, so I don't disagree I, with that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. What I want to do is I want to have states be able to develop their own solutions for uh, for the care of their citizens because the people of that state can make decisions that make better sense for them uh, as a state that has different culture, different um, environment and terrain and, uh, and different industry and therefore different um, um, health issues and concerns. And so I think that we should allow states to... Uh, develop the solutions that best meet the needs of their citizens or their residents. Well, Corey, um, do you have any final thoughts for listeners? Yeah, well, you know, the, we are 27 days away from 
uh, what will be a very significant vote. And, and our vote is going to set the course of our nation for the next so many years. And it's going to be very important that we choose people uh, who have conservative views economically, um, but also choose people who are coming to the table with ideas. And, and I think that we've tried to have a campaign um, theme that has been focused on that, developing ideas like, the, like um, bolstering peer-to-peer lending and micro-lending so that we can develop new streams of capital um, for small businesses and entrepreneurs that don't require a bank. And, and so once we get people in Washington that are developing new ideas, uh, then I think we can uh, progress out of this crisis that we're in in the nation. And where can we find you on the web? You can find me at www.coryruth.com. That's C-O-R-Y-R-U-T-H.com. And uh, on the first page, there's a section where you can donate. We need your support, and you can give as much as you want, as often as you want, from anywhere in America until you reach $2,400. Well, Corey, thank you very much for your time. I wish you the best of luck on the campaign trail. Uh, we've had uh, you're the third candidate out of this district that I've done a podcast with, with so that's uh, you know shows the uh, the fervor in which you guys are campaigning and trying to get your names out there. So uh, thanks again for dropping in tonight. That's great, man. I appreciate it.